It was a beautiful song, beautiful words, and beautifully sung. Thank you so much, Jenny, for singing that today. And children, there's Mr. Junior Church at this time as we begin the sermon. I have an illustration, and I want to invite two volunteers to come up and help me make this illustration. And we just dismissed the children, so it has to be somebody who's older, uh, like millennial, uh, like Philip or Jacob. Come on, you two. It's very, very easy. Just hold this body. Come on over the middle. The water. I have two oranges. And one has a peel on it, right? And one is unpeeled. Thank you, Megan. And we're going to race the oranges. I want to see which one gets to the bottom the quickest. So, who will win? Jenny, you have a practice? You want to put it in? You want to put it in? All right, one, two, three, drop them. Jacob, you lost. He's used to losing. All right, thank you for your help. Thank you for helping. You know, we have the orange with the peel, and it made it float. The peel functions as the orange's armor. You know, it's like it's armor. And the one without the peel sunk because it doesn't have any armor. And the point I want to make with this is I'm going to sit this here, and I'm going to try not to spill them. The point I want to make with this is today I want to talk about as a praying parent... Keep your guard up with spiritual armor. As a praying parent, keep your guard up with spiritual armor. And this is applicable regardless of your age or your children's age. And I'm going to repeat this again, but I'm going to say it. This is applicable for praying grandparents and great-grandparents and aunts and uncles and coaches and teachers, all those who have that paternal and maternal influence. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about being a spiritual father to Timothy. So even if you don't have children, or even if your children are grown, this applies to you. You know, I've been talking about <coughs> scriptures which I've been convicted to pray for my children and grandchildren. And one of the passages is Ephesians 6, 10-12. And then we get into the spiritual armor. We need the armor of the Lord, and we need to recognize the battle we face is not physical. It's spiritual. And oftentimes, we are fighting the wrong battle. We are fighting the wrong battle by trumping the physical over the spiritual. And so we're going to come to Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 in a minute. I would encourage you to turn there. And just remember, without... The spiritual armor, we sink. Without God's armor, we sink. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute, but I wanted that application. According to pastor and author John Ortberg, John Ortberg, great writer, he cites a fictitious manual for Peace Corps volunteers headed for South America and offers advice on how to handle a chance, a chance encounter with an anaconda. All of you know what an anaconda is? You, a very, very large boa constrictor, okay? So this is how you handle a chance encounter with an anaconda. 
This is what to do if attacked by an anaconda. Number one, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Number three, put your arms tight at your sides and your, leg, and your legs tight against one another. Number four, am I talking to you? Are you trying to write all these down so you'll be ready? <laughs> Number four, the snake will begin to climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. Number six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end. Number seven, step six will take a long time. Number eight, after a while, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down and take your knife and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth. Then suddenly sever the snake's head. Number nine and ten are very important. Number nine, be sure your knife is sharp. <laughs> Number ten, be sure you have your knife. John Ortberg quotes these humorous instructions and then makes a serious point. You never really know what curves life will throw at you, what's lurking around the corner. But when you are called, when you are called and you will be called, you need to know what to do. If you wait until a crisis hits, because it will hit, you've waited too long. You need to be prepared first. And I submit to you, we need to be prepared with the spiritual armor. And we need to be prepared knowing that our battle is spiritual. It's not physical. The battles we face are spiritual. The devil wants to divide families, but we need to remember, the greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's from 1 John 4, 4. So my theme today, as a praying parent, keep your guard up with spiritual armor. Pray that you and your family will recognize Ephesians 6, 10 to 12 and put on your spiritual armor. And remember, I said you and your family. And these are, you know, we need to pray these scripture passages. Praying scripture, praying the Bible, praying the word of God is so much more powerful than anything else. Now God wants to hear your heart and definitely pray your heart to God. But meditate on the word of God. Pray the word of God back to God. And do this for all those who you are a paternal or maternal influence over. Let's read Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. Paul writes, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist an evil day. And to having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shut your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God.
You know, I've preached on this passage before, and I will again. Every Halloween, I think we do not factor in the spiritual warfare going on. But today, my main point is recognize the spiritual battle and recognize that the spiritual, including our eternal life in Jesus Christ, including definitely our spiritual disciplines, the spiritual is more important than everything else. And we got it's not to say that the other things are not important. They're important too. But they're not more important than the spiritual. Sometimes we miss the spiritual just like we miss other things. We end up fighting the wrong battle. But there are real spiritual dangers. And we got to be ready. But first, let me talk just for a minute about this passage itself. Oftentimes we imagine the Apostle Paul writing this passage in prison and he's looking at a Roman soldier and that, that's, that's how we think Paul got these ideas. We, we think he got the idea of the breastplate of righteousness by looking at the Roman soldier and the sword of the Spirit by looking at the Roman soldier and the helmet of salvation by looking at the Roman soldier. And, and that could have been a reminder for the Apostle Paul. But I want to make the case that these ideas, these metaphors, so to speak, are all throughout the Bible. Isaiah 11.5 says, Also righteousness will be the belt, about, the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. That's in Isaiah. 700 years before, before Christ, Isaiah, the major prophet, is talking about this belt as righteousness. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 15 to 17, says, And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man. And he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. And his righteousness, God's righteousness upheld him. And he put on, breast, he put on righteousness like a breastplate. And get this, and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. There we are in Isaiah, this major prophet. Once again, and he's, he's, he's referencing a helmet of salvation. These ideas are not new to the New Testament. They're not new to the Apostle Paul. It's the Lord's arm bringing salvation. The Lord's righteousness is in this passage. Uh, God put on righteousness like a breastplate. He put on the garments. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 is another passage. It says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. These idea of garments and, and, and garments giving us spiritual armor. In one more passage, Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart exalts, and with my song I shall thank Him. These passages are not new. These, uh, th these ideas, these metaphors of armor, spiritual armor, are not new to the New Testament. They go all the way back to the Old Testament. 
The point is, we need to recognize the high importance of recognizing the real battle is spiritual. We must have God's armor, and this also means we recognize this as parents. As parents and as grandparents and as uncles and aunts and as, you know, all those who have that paternal, maternal influence over kids. We, we may think that what the children need is the best education. We think what they need are maybe athletics and college and other responsibilities. And these can be important things. We need education. We need to learn to work. We need to learn careers. We need these things. But they're not more important than the spiritual. As parents, we often think what our children, I'm going to repeatedly include grandparents, and our grandchildren need is a good day. But some days, some days you, we need bad days. We need valleys. We need hard times. Maybe we don't pray for them, but we learn from them. As parents, we often think what is needed is that our children have a good self-esteem. It's all about self-esteem. And of course, that's a good thing. But God teaches us through difficulty. We want so many good things for our family. But when we miss the spiritual, we miss the most important. And the devil wants to take down our families, and he will do it by making us think that he does not exist. You know, I've read different stories, testimonies of real spiritual warfare. Like, really scary spiritual warfare. And I believe in it. I've heard about them in the United States. I've heard about them in other countries. But I wonder often if the devil has a different strategy in America. In America, he wants us to think that he does not exist. In America, he wants us to focus on the wrong things. You know, I remember talking with Megan's stepdad before I could start dating her, and I was a little bit nervous. And maybe all of you guys can remember talking with the father of your spouse or different dads about dating their daughter. And maybe many of you men can remember what it was like when you had the opportunity to intimidate some young man. And maybe you can think back to that. And, you know, if my daughters wish to date men... Um, well, they will at some time, I'm sure. I look forward to being able to intimidate them as well. <laughs> However, I want to submit that if I wait till then, I have waited too long. If I wait till they're ready to date, I've waited too long. We need to rear our children spiritually, that is most important, and then we can trust their judgment. It goes back to the battle being spiritual. We think the answer with teenagers in dating is birth control, safe sex, intimidating the boys, and setting up standards. And certainly setting up standards is a good thing. And all those things may be good. But isn't it better to raise your daughters spiritually that we can trust the decisions they make? Jen Wilkin is an author and writer and speaker. I would commend to you pretty much any of her writings. And she, she wrote the following. She says, I have two teenage daughters. So it, so it was with some interest that I read, read a recent post entitled, Application to Date My Daughter. It was pretty funny, playing on the idea of the stereotypical shotgun-toting father and the mortified daughter as they negotiate the tricky terrain of a first date. Then Christian bloggers grabbed the concept, and for the most part, these versions were pretty funny too. 
They were some common themes. Slouchy, panted, unemployed suitors. Dads breathing out Chuck Norris-inspired threats. <laughs> Jen continues, I didn't lose my well-developed sense of humor until I made the tactical error of glancing at some of the comments. And then I was just flat-out sad. Here's the comment that made me the saddest. Posted by a well-meaning young Christian father. This is what he said. Bro, this is awesome. My daughter's only two, but I'm printing this for my fridge. Thanks for your godly example. Jen Wilkin continues. Oh, dear. Oh, joke's over, bro. Let's talk strategy for a second. Is that all you've got? You need a better plan than these low-level intimidation techniques. After all, she's your daughter, for Pete's sake. So let's talk frankly about what you need to do to guard her interest when it comes to dating. Instead of brandishing a shotgun or breaking out an application, you need to build a wall. That's right, you heard me. Build a wall. Go all Rapunzel. Build it so high that only the strongest of suitors can scale it. But don't wait until your baby girl is a teenager, bro. Start now. Start yesterday. There's no time to waste. Build a wall. Now she's talking metaphorically of the wall. Listen. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 8 through 9, we hear a family's hope that their young sister will grow into a woman of strength and dignity. Can you guess what metaphor they use to describe that kind of woman? A wall. Their sister assures them in verse 10 that she is indeed a wall complete with towers. Her statement indicates an assurance that she is not only strong, but able to defend herself against any unworthy suitors. That's what you want, Jen Wilkin continues, a wall. And this is a key statement Jen Wilkin makes. Here's the problem with shotgun jokes and applications posted on the fridge to anyone paying attention. They announce that you fully expect your daughter to have poor judgment. Be assured that your daughter is paying attention. And don't be shocked if she meets your expectation. You might want to worry less about terrorizing or retrofitting prospective suitors and worry more about preparing your daughter to choose wisely. And that means building a wall. Instead of intimidating all your daughter's potential suitors, raise a daughter, raise a daughter who intimidates them just fine on her own. Because you know what's intimidating? Strength and dignity. Deep faith, self-assuredness, wisdom, kindness, humility, industriousness. Those are the bricks that build the wall that withstands the advances of old slouchy pants. Whether you ever show up with your Winchester locked and loaded or not. The unsuitable suitor finds nothing more terrifying than a woman who knows her worth to God and to her family. The battle we face, what we go through, is spiritual. That is primary, not the physical. It's not to say the physical is not important, but you've got to start spiritually. And oftentimes, we miss the spiritual. And I love that illustration. It's so true. We want our children to have good judgment. And if we focus on the world, though, so will they. If we think the worldly things are most important, so will our children. Education is important, but it's not the most important thing. 
uh, finding a career, sports. There's nothing wrong with sports. I'm not going to say there is, but they're not the most important thing. The most important thing is studying the Word of God in the home, spending time in prayer in the home, coming to church as a family. That is the most important thing. We have a spiritual battle going on. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, Satan led a revolt, and one-third of the demons, one-third of the angels, revolted with him. Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, they all talk about Satan's fall. We don't know exactly when Satan fell. It was sometime between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3. Satan fell from heaven, but even though he, he, he and bless you, bless you, bless you twice. Um, even though Satan fell from heaven, that doesn't, and even though Satan led a revolt, he is, no, he is no threat to God. He is on a short chain. We see in Luke 10, 18, uh, God, uh, Jesus sends the disciples out to heal people and cast out demons. And the disciples come back to Jesus and they said, even the demons obey you. And Jesus responded, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. One writes about his son. One summer, Aaron went to a youth camp. He was just a little guy, and I was kind of glad because it was a church camp. I figured he wasn't going to hear all those ghost stories because ghost stories can really cause a kid to have nightmares. <coughs> Excuse me. But unfortunately, since it was a Christian camp, they didn't tell ghost stories. They told stories of demons <laughs> and, and Satan. And my little guy... Aaron came back a little scared. Dad, don't turn off the light, he said, before going to bed. No, Daddy, uh, could you stay here with me? Uh, Daddy, I'm afraid. They told all these stories about demons. And, and the dad says, I wanted to say they're not real. He goes, Daddy, Daddy, would you pray for me that I would be safe? The dad says, I could feel it. I could feel warm blanket Christianity beginning to wrap around him. A life of safety, safety, safety. I said, Aaron, I will not pray for you to be safe. I will pray that God will make you dangerous. So dangerous that demons will flee when you enter the room. And he goes, all right, but pray I would be really, really dangerous, Daddy. Sometimes we are so concerned about being safe that we miss the spiritual and we miss what God wants to do. Put on the spiritual armor, the belt of truth, truth is scripture, the breastplate of righteousness. What a strong defense we have and offense too. And we are living righteous lives following Jesus. The shield of faith. And you know that in Roman times they would link their shields together with other believers, with other Christians. Well, we need to link our shields together with other Christians. They actually link their shields together with other soldiers. And we need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I was listening to a message that the actor Denzel Washington gave last week. And Denzel Washington said this. I loved it. He said, I pray that you put your shoes way down under your bed so you are forced to get on your knees and pray when you get up in the morning. Get on your knees and pray when you get up in the morning. We need to recognize the real most important struggle it's spiritual. It's not physical. You, Jesus said the people were worried. They were worried. And Jesus said, Seek first my kingdom, and all these things will be added to you.
The battle of Antietam in 1862 lasted for 12 hours and ranks as the bloodiest day of the Civil War, with 10,000 Confederate casualties and even more on the Union side. At least the sun went down and the battle ended, wrote one historian. Smoke heavy in the air, the twilight quivering with the anguished cries of thousands of wounded men. Though militarily a draw, the mediocre general, George McClellan, the Union general, was able to end the brilliant Robert E. Lee's thrust into Maryland, forcing him to retire across the Potomac. How is this possible? How did this mediocre general beat Robert E. Lee? Two Union soldiers had found a copy of Lee's battle plans and had delivered them to McClellan before the engagement. Here's the application. In some respects, we are no match for our adversary, Satan, whose wiles we are told to be weary of. But as with General McClellan, our enemy's plans have fallen into our hands. We know his usual strategies, the devil's usual strategies, to entice us with lies, lust, and greed, and the like. With such knowledge given us by God's Word and God's Spirit within, we too can resist the enemy's advances. The question is, are we trusting in him as Lord and Savior? And I'm not talking about a one-time prayer. Many of you are confident in your salvation. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us to examine ourselves and make sure we are saved. Are you trusting in Jesus daily for your salvation? Are you living like it? Are you pursuing God with your life? Are we pursuing God with our life? Do we love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? Are we offended by sin? Do we talk with our children and our grandchildren about the faith? Sometimes our negligence of the faith is our greatest witness, and it's not a good witness at all. Sometimes we are just so overly relaxed about our faith. It doesn't matter. A.W. Tozer once said, we can't teach evangelism. And I'm all for teaching evangelism. I really am. Uh, however, what A.W. Tozer said has great value, which was that if people are truly saved, if they truly have Jesus in their life, they're naturally going to share the gospel. Teaching evangelism is just raising a confidence. It's just motivating people to share that faith. But they say the new believers are the greatest witnesses. It's new to them. They're excited about it. They just can't help but share the faith. This whole sermon series is about, has been about scriptures that I've been convicted to pray. And it matters because the Word of God matters. And I'm convicted to pray them, pray these passages, because I want more than anything that my children and grandchildren and so on know the Lord and follow the Lord. And of course, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and the devil wants to take your children. The devil wants to take your grandchildren. The devil wants to get them. We need to pray, and we need to pray the Word of God. But along that same lines, first and foremost, you need to seek the Lord with all that you are.
You need to seek him every single day. And when you mess up, you need to meet with your children. You need to meet with your grandchildren. And you need to apologize. You need to publicly repent and talk to them and say, look, I made some mistakes. You need to sit down with them. Invite them for lunch. Give them donuts. If they're kids, they love donuts. If they're grandkids, they love donuts too. If they don't, something's wrong with them. See a psychologist. They need more help. Jesus can still help, but talk to them about their faith. Open up. Be transparent. Be humble. Let's pray at this time. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us dangerous as Christians. Dangerous as Christians. And Lord, we know that we can be dangerous because we have the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Oh, Lord, we are not alone. You send the disciples out and you send us out. But you don't send us out alone and you didn't send the disciples out alone. We have the Word of God. We have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We have these, this, this spiritual armor, this spiritual armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, our feet planted firmly with the gospel of peace, the belt of truth buckled around our waist, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. We're not alone. Make us dangerous because greater is He who is in us and He who is in the world. And Lord, may we recognize the real battle. May we pursue you. May we seek you with our whole heart, Lord. May we seek you. May we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And all these things will be added. And Lord, if anybody here needs to publicly repent, may they do that this week. Talking to their children, talking to their spouse, talking to their grandchildren. And give them that ability to repent of past mistakes and to pursue you. If anyone here does not know you as Lord and as Savior, may today be the day where they turn their life over to you. Lord, I know, I know that the devil wants to take our families. Lord, I know that there are many here right now, and I can even sense it, just eager for the prayer to get done so they can race out the door. Eager for the prayer to get done so they can get to their other things. Things that may or may not be more important. I know, Lord, that in other countries where Christians are really persecuted, they worship with your people all afternoon. It's not a race to get to lunch. Lord, we need to prioritize you. We have sinned greatly. We have sinned greatly in the United States of America. Making church and our relationship with you just another thing that we do rather than a center core of our life. Lord, may we repent and turn to you. May we pursue you. May we follow you. May we recognize what's most important. May we get our priorities straight. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen.